welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. About 17 years ago, Vij and I were invited to a destination wedding. It was in Punta Cana at the Gran Bavaro Princess Resort. It was very fancy. We had an amazing time. There was about 20 of us there. We went swimming. We played volleyball. We ate copious amounts of buffet food. It was amazing. Until about day three. Because on day three, something terrible started to happen. People began to vomit. There was a gastrointestinal virus that was sweeping across the Dominican at that time. And most of the wedding party got it. In fact, even the bride got it. Poor thing. But the good news was that by day seven, when it was time for us to actually have the wedding, most people were feeling better. And so we put on our fancy clothes. We went down to the beach and had a beautiful wedding ceremony. And then after, there was a reception. And at the reception, something else kind of funny happened. The first course was a gorgonzola soup. And so I don't know if you've ever tried gorgonzola soup or if you've smelt it, but it has a bit of a funky smell. And so when we smelled it coming in, we were like, what is that? It actually smelled like the thing that had been coming out of our mouths all week. And we were like, no, I cannot eat that. I just can't do it because it reminded us of something terrible that had just been happening. We were like, I can't go there. I cannot eat it. You know, this is kind of a funny example of something that happens to us in our lives in a much more profound way. And so I'm going to tell you two other stories about this sort of thing happening. So I'm a supply teacher. Many of you know that. I am regularly called to teach in a class where I don't know the kids in a subject that I have never studied, and the kids usually don't really want me there. Um, you probably remember times when you were in grade school or high school and you tortured your supply teachers. Well, that's what I do. I've actually chosen this. I'm not complaining. It works very well for me, and I love, I love being with the kids. So it's a good job for me, but there are days that are quite difficult. And this one day, I was teaching grade eight, and there was a boy who was acting out, and so I called him out just to correct him, and he was distracting everyone, so I was trying to get the class in order. Well, he decided to make a joke, and then someone else made a joke, and pretty soon the entire class was laughing at me. Well, I just froze. I felt completely paralyzed. I, my tongue was like stuck to the roof of my mouth. I could not form a word. My brain like turned to mush. I couldn't think of anything to say. I did not know what to do. I felt totally paralyzed. My face went red. The kids laughed for a little bit. Finally, they calmed down. And I think I said something about sending the kid to the office and got the class back in control, but it was not very pretty. The class ended and I sent them out and instantly I thought of three brilliant ways that I could have handled that situation. I actually thought of four ways, but the fourth one might have got me fired. <laughs> Anyways, I knew what I was doing. I knew how to handle those kids, but for some reason I totally got stuck and I could not move forward. Another situation happened um, when I was probably in my 30s and a really good friend of mine came to me and said she wanted me to work on a few things in our friendship. And that's something you have to do when you're friends with people and you hurt each other or you have things that bother each other, you need to talk about it and your friendship can get better. So she told me those things and um, she, it was quite a lot of things and she had bottled them up for a couple years so maybe she should have been a little bit you know, slower at telling me. It was kind of a lot at once but these were all things that were small things and they were true. They were faults of mine. Things that if I changed I would probably become a better friend. But again, I was totally frozen. I felt absolutely crushed. I just, I cried and cried and I could not move past that conversation. In fact, it took me two years before I could even 
talk to her about it. And then I just, I wrote a letter because I didn't want to face her face to face about it. And we're still friends, but not at the same level that we, would, we were before. And I could have just changed those things and our friendship would have grown. But I, I didn't. Why couldn't I? Why did I get stuck? Well, the reason that I got stuck in both of those situations were because what was happening in the present reminded me of something terrible that had happened in the past. So the first one, when I was teaching grade eight, reminded me of when I was in grade three and I was sitting at a table with a group of kids and I had brought a lunch with figs in it. And there was a girl there who didn't like me. And I guess she didn't like figs either because she told everyone around the table, she whispered in their ears and she said, figs are for pigs. And then she came to me and whispered in my ear, figs are for pigs. Well, to a grade three girl, that's one of the worst insults you could ever say to her. And so again, I was totally crushed. I, f I was mortified. I was paralyzed. I had no comeback. I was eight years old. I did not know what to say as the whole class laughed at me. So that's what happened. When I was in teaching that grade eight class, I was reminded of that story. And I felt like that little child again hurting from those people laughing at me. And then with that situation with my friend, it reminded me of a time in high school where, again, they wouldn't let me, uh, someone didn't want me to eat with them at lunch. I had nowhere to sit. There was no place for me to join in in the cafeteria because some girls had said they didn't want me to sit with them. So I ended up eating in the bathroom. That is a low point in your high school career if you ever have to eat in the bathroom. Um, it's pretty sad. So I, again, I felt so rejected by those girls in the cafeteria. And then when my friend told me those things, again, Again, it reminded me of that, and I was brought back to that feeling of rejection. So why am I telling you all of this? Well, we're in the middle of a series called Breakthrough, Unhindered, Unstuck, and Unbelievable Freedom. And we've been talking about how we can get stuck if we believe lies. We can get stuck because we don't understand our true identity, and we can be hindered by some you know, family background stuff, some patterns that were unhealthy. And I'm gonna talk to you today about how we can also get stuck if we have past wounds in our lives that have never been allowed to heal. When we have unhealed emotional wounds from our past, we can get stuck in the present. Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has experienced this. I, I bet you're probably thinking of some situations where you have experienced this as well, or maybe you've seen it in other people. You might have actually heard of the word triggered. We often use that word to describe a situation where someone's gone through a trauma and it happened in the past, but something today reminds them of it and they are triggered to feel all of the same negative emotions that they felt at the time of the trauma. Like for example, someone who has PTSD from the war, um, maybe they experienced terrible things in the war and then today a sound or even a smell that reminds them of that moment will take them back to all of the fears that they had at that time, even though they're safe in the present. Or another example would be, you know, a person who hears a word or perceives an emotion in someone else that reminds them of their childhood abuser. And in, in the present time, they feel that fear again that they used to feel when they were young. So that's what the word trigger kind of means. And often we're triggered by tra traumatic situations. But that's a really extreme example. There's also, you know, some kind of uh, less extreme, more less traumatic examples, like what I talked about with my grade three situation. For example, maybe you, people have said to you, um, you're overreacting. Why are you blowing this out of proportion? It's not that big a deal. Because maybe in that situation that you're in, it's feeling like a bigger deal than it is because it reminds you of something that happened in the past. Or maybe you find that you or someone you know is stuck in, a, in an emotion of anger. 
they only experience anger most of the time. And that could be because of a situation that happened when they were young where they didn't know how to handle their emotions. So you stuff them down and then you just feel anger. So in a situation in the, in the present time, you might be stuck in that same emotion. Or maybe you know that you have negative uh, self-talk in your head and it's actually quite childish. Maybe you say things like, I'm stupid, or I'm dumb, or I'm such a loser, or I'm so fat. All of those words are childish words, childish things that we say uh, to ourselves or to other people, or other people might have said to us. And so if your negative self-talk is childish, that might be another sign that you have an unhealed emotional wound. Maybe you, in this series, you've actually been really trying to dislodge some of the lies that you know that you've believed, but you can't. You feel like you, you know what the truth is, but you can't stop acting and believing in a lie. And that could also be a sign that there's a wound where that lie first came in that has not been healed. Or maybe you've noticed this. Maybe every time uh, you go back to your family of origin for a Christmas meal or Thanksgiving or Easter, and you're all together, maybe you find that you kind of revert back to your teenage attitudes and behaviors with your family. And that could be because of an unhealed wound. Maybe the same fights keep happening over again because you've, you've never really healed from something that happened from when you were young. When our present situation reminds us of a past wounding that never healed, sometimes we get stuck. So I want you to just take a minute and look at these questions that I'm going to put up and just uh, think about, maybe this has happened to you. Think about each of these questions or maybe you have a different situation um, where in the present you're reminded of something that happened that hasn't been healed when you were younger.
So you might be wondering, is there any hope for us? Can we actually be healed of these emotional wounds? You know, when Jesus was on earth, for sure he healed. There's no doubt that he could heal the blind, the sick, the lame. He was healing physical things all the time. But can he heal emotional wounds as well? Isn't the Bible pretty much silent on emotional wounds? Can God actually help us? Well, yes, he can. And we're going to look at a passage where... um, where he promises that he will heal us. In fact, it's a, pro- um, it's a passage from, that Isaiah wrote back in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus came to earth and he spoke for the first time in the synagogue, he picked up this passage and basically spoke it as saying, this is why I came to earth, was to do these things. So take a listen to the passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of a splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. So the first thing Jesus says in this passage that he's going to do is bind up the brokenhearted. And when you talk about the brokenhearted, we're not talking about a physical heart. You know, when someone has a problem with their heart, we say they have heart trouble or they need heart surgery. Jesus is not talking about doing heart surgery. He's talking about those who are brokenhearted emotionally. We become brokenhearted when we've lost a loved one to death or when we um, have lost a relationship or maybe we've lost a dream and our hearts are broken that that dream will never come true. Well, this says that Jesus came to bind up, to heal our broken hearts, our emotions. Next, it says that he promises to give freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. And when I was a kid, I thought this just meant like getting out of jail. I thought that Jesus was going to free everyone from jail. You know, like in Monopoly, that get out of jail free card. I thought Jesus had a whole bunch of those to pass out. And you know, Jesus can free people from jail. In fact, Paul was released from jail miraculously. And there are other people who have been freed from jail miraculously. But when Jesus was on earth, we don't see him setting people free from jail. In fact, his cousin John was in, he was imprisoned and Jesus did not set him free. I think in this passage, Jesus is not talking about physical jails. I think he's talking about things in our lives that hold us back, that imprison us. Things like we've been talking about in this series, like lies. And I think that includes things from our past that might stop us and and hold us back from what we're meant to do in the present. Like for example, you know that you want to commit to this relationship. You really love this person, but you can't because when you were young, you were bullied so often that you decided that people could not be trusted and that no one would ever love you. So even though you know you want to commit to this person, you just can't because of a past wound. 
Jesus also, uh, so Jesus said that he is going to set us free from unhealed wounds that hold us back from, from those things that imprison us. In the passage, he also says he's going to comfort those who mourn. Again, he's talking specifically about emotions and tending to our sadness and our grief and our depression. He's not saying he's going to come and scold us for not being grateful enough or for tell us to, to stop complaining and to just get over it. No, he's going to comfort us, sit with us, put his arm around us and grieve with us and enter into our pain. That's what this promise is. Jesus came to comfort us in our grief and sadness and depression. Next, it says he's going to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes. What is he talking about here? What does ashes mean? Well, in the Bible times, people would actually put real ashes on their heads. They would do it for two reasons. One is because they're mourning the death of a loved one. And the other reason was like a sign of shame or debasement, like they're humbling themselves before God because they know that they've been living in a wrong way and they want to change. So they would put ashes on their head as a sign of humility or shame. Well, Jesus says that he has come to remove those ashes and to replace them with a crown of beauty. You know, sometimes we wear those ashes even if we're not guilty. Like I wore those ashes on my head for many years because of what was said to me in grade three and again in grade nine. I wore those because someone else told me to wear them. And Jesus, I needed Jesus to come and remove those and to give me instead a crown of beauty. Jesus came to heal our shame and to replace it with a crown of beauty. Next, he says that he's going to give us joy instead of mourning and praise instead of a spirit of despair. And this is more than comfort. He's not just going to comfort us in our sadness and our grief, but he's going to turn it into joy. And you know, growing up in the church, I used to think that when I talked about the joy of the Lord, it was always having to do with how he died on the cross for our sins and forgave us. But if you look in this passage, it doesn't say anything about Jesus dying on the cross or forgiving us from the things that we do wrong. He's turning our grief and our own sadness into joy. He's not talking about, yes, we should be joyful that Jesus died for us and saved us. But in this case, I believe he's talking about turning things that have made us sad, that have hurt us into joy, turning them completely around by healing them. And this is a kind of joy that makes us sing. Like it says, praise instead of a spirit of despair. The kind of joy that will make us want to sing. He came to trade our despair for joy. These are the things that Jesus promised that he came to earth to do. So of course, there is hope for us. This passage is so clear. He came not just to heal our physical um, ailments, but our emotional, our emotional wounds as well. And this is what we need him to do so that we won't be stuck in the present because of our past wounds. So let's just come back for a moment to how our wounds cause us to get stuck. And I want to give you two reasons, two ways that our wounds cause us to get stuck. And the first is what psychologists call the inner child. When an emotional wound is not addressed, something that happens when we're young and it's never healed and taken care of, then part of us gets stuck there in that moment emotionally. Our brains are hardwired to retain emotional events. Any event that has a lot of emotion around it, our brains will actually have a heightened sense of what's going on and they will uh, record in our memory the sounds, the smells, the taste, anything else that's going on will be recorded with that memory. And what happens is part of us gets kind of stuck in emotionally in that spot, in that part of our timeline. And what psychologists call it is the inner child. 
Dr. Stephen Diamond describes this like this. He says, the inner child holds our accumulated childhood hurts, traumas, fears, and angers. Our inner child holds happy things as well, but <clears throat> also these things. Grown-ups are convinced that they have successfully outgrown, jettisoned, and left this child behind and its emotional baggage. But this is far from the truth. Adults are unwittingly being constantly influenced or covertly controlled by this unconscious inner child. The inner child is a part of you that remembers the wound and is still suffering because it's never been healed properly. It's just like if you're wounded physically, if you break your arm and it's never set and immobilized properly, you're gonna have trouble later. This actually happened to VJ. When he was younger, he was riding an ATV and he, he flipped it upside down. And that's a story for another time. But it landed right on his wrist and uh, the whole weight of the thing landed on his wrist. He went for x-rays and they didn't notice that actually there was a hairline fracture in his wrist. So it wasn't properly taken care of. And now, even 20 years later, he will still have pain when he's writing or typing a lot or if he's working out or if he's bearing any weight in the same position as when it got hurt. And even sometimes in the middle of the night, he will be woken up with that pain aching in his wrist. The same thing happens when we're wounded emotionally. We will, if we've been wounded when we're young, we will often feel it later if it wasn't healed and tended to properly. And it can even flare up in the middle of the night in your recurring nightmares. Especially if our wounds happen when we're really young. When we're children, we don't have the experience or the wisdom or even the emotional intelligence to be able to process what's going on around us. And it's so easy for kids to believe that it's our fault or that this just happens to everyone. It's totally normal to feel like this. And often we will feel as children afraid of our emotions. We've never felt this before. And so we kind of want to hide it because we don't know what it is. And this happens even more when the wound is inflicted by an older person, a parent or a teacher or an older sibling. And then even more, we will stuff down our emotions and not know how to, um, to process them. And once we've processed a wound as a child, we rarely go back and, and dig it up and review it again. You know, it happens, we make our decision about what happened and what we're gonna do and how we're gonna avoid it in the future, and then we move on. And it, it takes a conscious effort as an adult to go back to that, and we rarely do that. When, but then when something in the present begins to look like the situation where the wounding occurred, that inner child begins to speak up. And then suddenly we can see the present situation through the, the eyes of our inner child. And all those feelings come back. You know, we all have wounds. Some of our wounds are, are more traumatic than others, but we all have things that have happened to us that hurt us in the past. And even small things like that girl calling me a pig in grade three can affect us in the present. They can affect our behaviors, our decisions, our relationships. They can affect our, um, our, our growth and our calling and how effective we are in the present if they have never been healed properly. And some of us have more than one. Some, many people have had more than one wound. Something happened at six years old. Something else happened at 10 years old that really upset you. And again at 12. And so all of those things can cause wounding. And then we become fractured. We can't be whole again until we have actually had healing for those wounds. Well, I told you there was two ways that we get stuck. The other way is that the devil gets in on this mess. 
You know, just like when you have a cut, if you had a cut on your finger that was bleeding and you didn't clean it out and then bandage it, then what happens is it can get infected because bacteria from the environment can get in and begin to fester and make that wound even worse. Well, that's kind of like what the devil does on our unhealed emotional wounds. He gets in there and we've been learning what the devil likes to do. He tells us lies about the situation. And why does he tell us lies about an unhealed wound? Well, it's because when we are wounded, it's so easy for us to believe lies. We are looking for an explanation. Why is this happening? We're looking for how to avoid this. How do I make this never happen again? I didn't like it. And so the devil will tell us why it happened. He'll tell us how to avoid it, but they will be lies. And he'll, we'll get stuck because we, have, we, we easily believe the lies that he tells us when we're wounded. And then we can be stuck in those lies. And he'll tell you lies about you. He might say, it's your fault that this happened. He might say, you're a victim. You will always be a victim. He might say that you're stupid, you're incompetent, you're ugly, you're weird, you're crazy. Whatever the word was that was said back then, he'll repeat it to you and say that it's true. He might say, you'll never, whatever it is, you'll never achieve that, you'll never grow up. He might say, you'll always, you'll always do that. You'll always be stuck in this way. He might say, there's no forgiveness, there's no compassion, there's no hope for you. He might tell you lies about other people. Like for example, people in authority are not safe. Or he might tell you that men can't be trusted. Women cannot be trusted. He might tell you that no one cares about you. Or how about this one? No one will listen to you if you speak up about that. He might tell you lies about God. God will never forgive you for that. He might tell you that God is so disappointed in you or that God has high expectations for you and you'll never live up to them. He might tell you that God is not good or that God is holding back from you. And when we begin, we believe that lie, we begin to live out of it. We make decisions out of it and we behave as if it's true. Like if, if he told you the lie that no one will listen to you, then you stop sharing your feelings and you stop telling people what's going on in your heart. And then eventually you can shut your own emotions down because why bother having them if there's nothing, no one to share with? No one will listen. Then he'll tell you another lie. And then the more you believe lies, the more difficult it is for you to see and, and believe in God's truth. Remember, Vijay said a few weeks ago that we need to hold on to the truth and then we will be set free. We can't hold on to the truth when we're holding on to lies that the devil has told us. You know, when I was hurt in grade three, I began to be, believe a lie about my own self-worth. I believe that I was just less than everyone else. And then the lie got worse. I began to think that everyone would reject me. So I began to act out of that. I decided that I wasn't going to try things that I wasn't going to be good at. If I didn't think I could be the best at it, I just didn't try it. I stayed away from it. But if I thought I could be good at something, then I would work really hard and try to be the very best so that no one would reject me. Because if I was the best, then no one would reject me. And I had this weight of pressure on me to try to always achieve and achieve and become better all because I was so afraid of rejection. And that was a heavy weight for me to carry. It was not good for me. It was also uh, hard on a lot of my relationships. It was not helpful for my friendships. And even in my dreams, the devil would tell me more lies. I would have dreams about people who I know, who I knew loved me, rejecting me. 
And those were how the devil was showing up in my nightmares. So what do we do? How do we actually access Jesus's healing? If Jesus has promised to heal us from these deep emotional wounds, how do we, how do we get that? How come there's so many Christians who are kind of like walking around wounded when Jesus has said, I will heal this? Well, the reason is because Jesus doesn't just barge into our lives and make us get healed. He doesn't come in unless we invite him to do it. The Bible says that, that he stands at the door and knocks and that he waits for us to open the door. He's such a gentleman. He won't just barge in and, and make us tell us about our deepest, darkest moments. And it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy to actually invite him in and talk about the times in our lives that were so difficult. And I'm not talking about reliving them. Jesus doesn't want us to go back and be re-traumatized. He just wants to take an honest look at what happened and how we can heal that and what lies might have come in. And if we don't have the courage to do that and we want to just stuff it down, we're also stuffing down an inner child, a part of us that actually needs to speak up and get some healing. But if we can have the courage to let Jesus in, in a safe place today where we're not in danger and the, the lover of our souls is by our sides, the one who has gone through more uh, suffering than you can even imagine, then we can be brave and face those dark moments and get the healing that we need. So a good way to start is to actually look back in your life and take kind of an inventory of what are all the traumatic or, or difficult things that what are the hard times that you've been through and just kind of list them and write them down and then begin to work through them. And so this week in the blog, I'm going to give you a different exercise every day for you to begin to work through some of those uh, past wounds. Also, you could choose to um, come for renewal prayer. We have a... Um, a ministry at our church called Renewal Prayer. And you can come and meet with two other uh, people who will pray with you and invite Jesus in to heal some of these situations together. And it's amazing how Jesus is able to connect with and heal the parts of you that have been hurt like that, your inner child. So you can book an appointment with your site pastor for Renewal Prayer if you want to pray with someone. You can also do this with Christian friends. And in the blog, I will have an exercise to help you with that as well. You know, Jesus said in the Bible that he's always with us, even to the end. And we usually think of that as like he's going to be with us in the future. But he was actually with us in the past. He's been there for your whole life. He was there when you were wounded as well. And so I want you to just take a minute and listen to this song that talks about how Jesus has been with us for our whole lives, always there for us. saw me first You let me in when I was at my worst The moment when I heard you say my name It's the first time in so long I'm not afraid I'm not afraid You are the voice that calmed the storm inside me Cast the wall Stand around me all this time, my guardian was you. You are the light that shines in every tunnel. There in the past, you'll be there tomorrow. All my life, your love was breaking through. 
been there for your whole life. And maybe you didn't see him, maybe you wish he was doing something different, but he was there and his love was trying to break through to you. And his voice is the only voice that can truly calm the storm inside of you. Well, what will happen if we open that door and allow Jesus to help us with these past wounds? The passage that we read earlier, Isaiah 61, says that we will become oaks of righteousness, strong trees of righteousness, that we will have freedom, that we will be released from things that have held us back, that we will have crowns of beauty, that we will have joy, that we will, that the shame and the the ashes and the disgrace that has been that we've been wearing, they will be removed. There'll be no shame and no more disgrace. And these aren't just figurative words. These are truths. These are things that we can actually have and enjoy. It also says in the passage that Jesus is going to rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. 
And I don't think, again, I don't think he's talking about physical ruins. When Jesus was on earth, we don't see him rebuilding ruins and refurbishing the temple. In fact, he trashed the temple one day. I think what he's talking about are ruins that are not physical, but emotional. Things that have happened to us, deep buried emotions that need to come to the surface so that they can actually heal. Jesus promises that he will restore devastated parts of us like our inner child and rebuild on a healed foundation. You know, I began exploring my unhealed wounds at a Deeper Life conference a number of years ago with Kathy Clausen. And I noticed in my inventory that I had a pattern of rejection where over and over again, I had felt rejected in life. There was other patterns too, actually. So I went for some renewal prayer appointments, a number of them over a few years. And I began to get healing for that. And I connected with my inner child. The result was life-changing. I had a new, I have a new confidence and so much joy. And it's so weird that I cry because of the joy, but every time I say it, I'm just overwhelmed. I wasn't a miserable, sad person before, but now I just have so much joy. Every morning I wake up with overwhelming joy. Um, I also have been able to shed all of that negative self-talk. I had that voice in my head saying negative childish words all the time, and it's gone. I don't hear it at all anymore. And my behaviors change. I've had courage to try new things like, like public speaking, um, things that I never wanted to try before. And even small things, like it used to be hard for me to just write a text. I would take so long thinking about it or answering a group email. It had to be perfect because I was so afraid of being rejected, of getting it wrong, of not being perfect. Now I just write them and I make mistakes all the time and it's okay because I now know how to forgive myself and I know that other people can forgive me and we can just fix it. I also used to have trouble making simple decisions. Someone said about me that I would second guess my second guesses because if I made a wrong decision, maybe God would reject me. I was so afraid of getting it wrong. Now I just make decisions and I assume that God will fix it for me somehow and he does. And it's not perfect and it doesn't have to be because I'm not afraid of rejection anymore. And you know, this freedom is amazing and I want it for you. I want whatever, you're probably dealing with different things, but I want that healing for all of you as well and that freedom. So I'm just gonna pray for you right now that you will have the courage to do this too. Father, we just thank you so much that you sent Jesus into earth for this very reason, to heal us from our emotional wounds. And so many more reasons, but this is the one that we need now. So we just, um, I just pray that you would give us the courage to open that door and invite you in um, to have an honest look at the things that have hurt us in the past so that we can be set free and not stuck in the present in any way, free to become the people that you, you have made us to be and to live the way that you have designed us to live. So I just ask you for this in your name. Amen.